Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. KD, and I'm so excited for the topic and guest today because we are going to be talking about a few topics that I really enjoy. One, cold emailing, which I believe is something that still is underutilized and most SDRs don't do the right way. Social selling, how to combine them, but then also some outside-the-box ways of building, running, running a team. Because if you are not familiar with the company called Lemlist, you should be. Because I think Lemlist and Unorthodox go hand in hand. They have built a company the complete opposite way many people say to build a company. Raise millions of dollars. They raised no millions of dollars. Do everything in the office. They've done it remotely. Only focus on one thing. YouTube doesn't work. Social doesn't work. They have done everything the opposite direction most people would and they are succeeding like none other they've gone from zero to 10 million completely bootstrapped in under four years and i have the leader of that sales org Nadja Kamenech with me today to talk about the mindset the actions the tactics they've used to grow from zero to 10 million no funding in under four years Nadja, welcome to the show let's do this Thank you, Kevin, for an awesome introduction and lovely to be here. I've been following your journey for a long time now. You've been one of my uh, silent mentors, I would say, in my growth as well. So very happy to be here today. I, and I love it. So Nadja and I had connected a little bit offline, and it was funny because I've been following Lemless journey for a while now. When y'all first started putting YouTube videos up, and it's like, wait, a SaaS company's doing YouTube videos and like declining funding and all this. And so I've been watching because it's been different, and I love 
unorthodox. I love thinking outside the box. And so let's start with that part of this here, right? You said, you know, the way that we run our org, the way that we run our SDR team is a little bit unorthodox. It's a little bit different. Let's start with that. What are some of the things that you do differently with your team that you've seen lead to this success? Definitely. And one of our mottos that we have in Nonlist is uh, do things that you shouldn't. So that's yeah. actually our headline. That's the motto of our company, the way, the way that we function since the beginning. And that is the reason that I believe we've been successful so far. Uh, thinking about all of the startups in the world that exist and uh, how hard it is to kind of get to that first million. And then from 1 million to 10 million, the percentage is crazy and the stats are really not uh, that optimistic. So we really thought from the beginning, we need to do things differently if we want to succeed. As you said, we actually refused $30 million investment mm -hmm. this year. So it was something very uh, unorthodox for everybody uh, out there. Um, and we decided to remain, remain bootstrapped for one reason only, and that is that we want to make sure that we are actually always able to do things outside of the box and that we are not being overlooked by investors and being said what it is that we need to do. We wanted to test things. We want to fail. We want to see what is working. And one of the ways that my sales team, as uh, to go back to your question, one of the ways that my sales team right now is functioning is very unorthodox. So we do have a couple of things and projects that are going on currently. Uh, one of them is that my sales team, all of the sales reps uh, that uh, I'm leading and coaching, uh, all of them have LinkedIn as part of their KPIs, meaning that they all need to be active on LinkedIn and build their personal brands, uh, not only for the company's sake, but we genuinely believe that this is something that can help them long term in their future as well. And on top of that, obviously, we create like this small inbound engine for every SDR so that even if they're doing prospecting, even if they're doing outbound, uh, and if they're about to hop on a call with the prospect uh, on a demo, uh, they're seen as credible and they're really the ones who are bringing in inbound leads to them. So today, my SDRs, 50% uh, uh, of the time, they don't even have to go hunt for leads. They simply come to them on their LinkedIn. And this is something where we avoided the whole mess of doing prospecting and outbound itself. So this is one of the things that we've been doing and really focusing on today. Our team uh, actually reaches more than a million views on LinkedIn simply because every person is very active and people really know them all the time on, on LinkedIn. On the other hand, we've just started a very unique project. Uh, again, something aligned with what you said, uh, being completely unorthodox. Um, so we've actually uh, been thinking this summer. So just to go back, we are actually a very small team. So we have under 40 employees. Uh, we grew so fast. And uh, the fact is we are competing against, like our market is crazy saturated. And we're competing against some crazy um, big tools out there that are have raised millions of funding. And we always thought, okay, how are we, small as we are, uh, with no funding, are going to be able to compete with those, um, with those tools, aside from having a good product, obviously. So we always thought about how we can emphasize our efforts. And uh, this summer, we, my team actually came to uh, my hometown in Serbia, and we started thinking, how can we actually, as a sales team, bring even more uh, value to the company, aside from doing inbound and outbound? Um, and we started thinking what it is the way that we've actually grown so far uh, as Lemless. What is the one reason that we actually managed to grow so fast so far in, uh, in the last four years? And we really realized that all of the growth that we've had was strictly because we were so customer centric and so focused on our clients all throughout our journey. 
whatever we started, whatever we did, all the content that we put out was always to make our clients successful. And we thought as a sales team, how can we, with our skills and our knowledge, actually make sure that our clients and potential clients are becoming even more successful. So we decided to kind of do something very unordinary, I would say. And for me as a head of sales, it was a very uh, weird thing to do and uh, a project to kick off. And we decided to, instead of running uh, outbound campaigns for ourselves, we're going to be doing outbound campaigns for our clients, select the clients that we choose in different industries, in different verticals, and actually do outbound campaigns for them. Two reasons for this. One reason is we want to create the most actionable content possible, and we cannot do the same if we're just posting our templates, which is focused on one ICP, one industry, um, really not the same way when you actually have a strong marketing as we are, and then for businesses that are smaller. And the second reason being that uh, our ICP are also marketing agencies. So we wanted to, as a sales team, to get to that understanding and really feel the pain of doing outbound for somebody else, figuring out all the mess that it goes in, along with that and how to actually do it. So um, based on this, we started the YouTube channel uh, a couple of months ago where we're sharing all of these tips and we're going to be tr sharing transparently every single step that we go through in the journey with the goal to inspire, help and uh, make our clients and potential clients more successful. I mean, we could end the podcast right there. And that's already so much value. There's a few things I want to unpack here. But that was funny enough. That's one of the things that stood out to me about Lemless when y'all were first starting is, yes, you're in a very competitive space around sales engagement and sales you know, automation, whatever else you want to call it. But y'all were the first to actually help people with the emails. Y'all were the first to actually say, here's what a great email looks like. And we've built it in. Y'all were the first to say, look, you want personalization on the coffee cup or on the refrigerator or whatever else. Y'all built that into the tool. Because like, see, that is what people actually want. No one wants sales engagement. They want the better responses. And y'all were the first to build that into the tool. And I was like, ooh, okay, I see this. I see what's happening. But then I love this idea of then, this is very similar to like HubSpot. This was HubSpot's model, right? Is like they had their team building websites and building marketing campaigns. So they understood the pain points. And I love that because it's going to make the product better. So we're going to get into that a little bit. I want to step back to this social selling idea, right? So you said, you know, you, you hold your team to KPIs on LinkedIn, which I think is amazing. How do you measure it, first of all? But then second, like, how do you get them to do it. Cause I think a lot of people like, Oh, we need our team social selling, but then they give them like a company post and say, share it. And they wonder why they don't get those millions of views per month. So how are you measuring their LinkedIn KPIs? But then also what are you encouraging them to do to get those millions of views? Of course. So when it comes to the measuring of the KPIs, I would say that those are typically very vanity metrics. So you can't really measure the impact on LinkedIn so much and so precisely like obviously you can connect with tons of people but is it really your icp is it really something that uh, is bringing value uh i personally what i'm looking for is always like more qualitative uh, metrics so like the reach that you're getting from your linkedin post how many you grew your network over the months uh, how much time and how often you're posting so they should post at least three times a week and then to inspire them to do so, I believe that the biggest uh, impact that we have is that uh, we lead by example. So I personally, I am posting every single day, aside from all of my uh, job as a manager that I have, my CEO is also posting every single day. And then uh, what they see is when they come is that they are actually seeing that I personally don't even have to do so much prospecting. 
and that itself gives them like uh, high hopes that at one point they will ha don't have to use so much emails or LinkedIn messages. They will be able to have their life much more easier. So I think that's the kind of a, the end goal that they envision immediately and they see the impact of it. When they start, obviously the onboarding helps them to get an understanding of how to write properly on LinkedIn. We give them some content that they can actually share and what are the types of content they can be posting. We've done recently a LinkedIn masterclass. So we always coach customers and ourselves and our team how to do it better. And they always have a full support for the marketing and sales. And I think the most important part is that obviously when an SDR starts and they start posting on LinkedIn, they're never going to be perfect. The posts are never going to be to the uh, perfect copy, perfect engagement, et cetera. It's mm -hmm. going to suck at the beginning, but it's okay. And I think the manager should be okay with that and being comfortable with failing a bit in the beginning and then encouraging each other to kind of boost the engagement. We actually have a Slack channel that is called uh, Engagement Pod, where we basically share the links to the, to the LinkedIn post that we posted. People start engaging from the company. It creates a bit of a boost from our network and then mm -hmm. it grows uh, organic. I love it. I love it. So let's talk about a little bit like what you teach them, right? Because you're the first sales leader, literally the first sales leader that I've spoken to that goes, we teach them how to write posts and we teach them how to create engaging content. What are a couple of those quick tips that you could give people to say, this is what we teach our team to do? Because there are so many companies that are 10 times your size that if they understood what would happen if all 150 of their reps were generating even a thousand views per post, but that would be 150,000 views a day if their entire team was doing it, right? So what are a couple of those quick, I guess, hits or quick ideas around this idea of like social selling or those posts that you teach your team? Uh, first thing that I always teach is definitely uh, we are targeting sales teams. So you are mm -hmm. targeting the exact same ICP as you are. So what it is that would make you stop while you're scrolling through LinkedIn that would make you stop and read and think, okay, I got so much value from this that I want to do and test it out. So what is the type of content that you personally would like to see? What is the things that you're struggling with that you can actually help them solve? What are your learnings, your pains, your successes and share them in a way that really helps other people. So it's not about sharing company posts, your successes. Nobody cares about that. It's really about what will help you in the beginning. And the second thing is do not copy paste what I'm posting or my CEO is posting, uh, figure out what it is your voice, what it is that you, even if you're a newly uh, hired SDR with zero experience, that makes you unique. So share what are the struggles that you're going through as a newly formed SDR, as somebody who just joined the company and somebody else is in the same situation as you are. So just share what your learnings are and everybody has something to share. I love that. I think that's key because I think a lot of companies, when they try, they do, they tell the rest of bases, I copy and paste copy this post, right. Or marketing wrote it. Right. And it doesn't resonate with the audience at all. And so I think that's phenomenal. So that's on the posting side. Do y'all also do like social selling? So like sending like messages and things like that directly to prospects? Of course, of course. And just to kind of add on top of what I've said before, when it comes to creating the post, I think the reason that we grew and when it comes to the content itself is that we were so vulnerable all the time and we were so transparent so there was no fake um you know like we are so successful we're killing in this we're super awesome people can't relate to that like you nobody relates to that nobody even cares about it it's more about like 
yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going through some shit in my mind. Like I'm struggling with this. Like, let me find the people who are going through the same and let's help each other out. And I think this is the way that we are also doing social selling. So um, the reason that we kind of, how we started communication always is always something that we found interesting, uh, a common ground basically between mm-hmm. us and prospects, whether they commented on the post or we saw a similar comment where we can actually bring more value in our own opinions. And then we would just kick off the conversation without even having in mind, I will potentially pitch our product to this person. I might not, I might do so if I see there is a fit, but it's more about networking and really building that relationship. I love that. I think that's so, so valuable and so important. And I, anyone listening, I encourage you, go look up Lemless, not just the product, but like, look at how they do things. Look at how they write their posts, even how they announced that they hit 10 million in revenue. The, the culture comes through. Like they, I guess what they're, wow, what's the right way to say this? It's like comically serious. Like obviously all y'all take your job seriously and obviously you take your business seriously, but you let your culture and that vibe and that energy come through. And I think that's so important because that's what people resonate with. No one resonates with a big corporate brand. No one does. But like when you got people celebrating behind the CEO who's trying to do a serious announcement, he can't make the announcement because that like that type of stuff people remember. People like me remember. I've never spoken to a person at Lemlist until today, not once. But I know so much about y'all because of that brand and that reach. And I just think more people could copy that, especially early, because it's very hard to go backwards. If y'all hadn't done this from the beginning, it is very hard to go backwards. Y'all have done it from the beginning, which which I love. And I think and that's a a segue over to the other part that I want to talk about, which is cold email, because also from the beginning, y'all have put like the actual things that people want, right? How to write good emails, how to get more responses. No one wants sales engagement. They want more responses. And y'all built that in. And that's things that I've been talking to these other bigger companies about for years is y'all need to be experts in cold email. Y'all need to be experts in templates. Why don't I walk into the highest performing templates out there? Why do I still got to write them all? So let's talk about cold email because, you know, cold call, every channel is getting harder. Every channel is getting harder, especially cold calling. It's getting harder. So email is one of the places I still think you can really stand out and do a great job of. Let's talk about some of the best practices around cold email and like what you've seen successful, not only for yourself, but also for your clients. Hmm. I think it would be great uh, to touch base on the um, benchmarks on what Mm -hmm. it is makes your, when can you actually say that your campaign has been successful and when it hasn't. Um, so I see a lot around the industry, obviously I'm talking to, uh, salespeople every day. Uh, I see open rates that uh, average around 30% open rates. And if this is to all the listeners who are listening today, like if this is the case with you, you might have problems with uh, your spam folders. Um, I think it's just, uh, un- we all always talk about like, you know, personalization, relevance, making your copy unique, making your um, going multi-channel and doing all of these uh, sales techniques that are very uh, out of the box and unique, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if your email doesn't land in the primary inbox and the prospects can't even open it, it doesn't really matter what it is in that email. So I think mm-hmm. this is the part where it that gets so overlooked, but is the essential part of any cold emailing simply focusing on your deliverability and making sure that those emails land in a primary inbox. Anything else after that is your job to make sure that the copy is good. 
And obviously we're gonna talk about it right now, but when it comes to the deliverability, there are so many things that you can do right now, technical things that you can implement today to make sure that they go above 50%. This is what you're aiming for. And everything else uh, after that becomes much more easier. Yeah, and I wanna jump in there real quick because people all the time will say like, oh, well, open rate's a vanity metric. Open rate's mm-hmm. a vanity metric. And I'm like, oh, really now? Cool. How many emails have you responded to that you didn't open? Yeah. And people go, uh, I'm like, exact. The open is actually the biggest, right? Like that's the first thing that you got to do. It's because if they don't open it, they can't respond. So it's not, you're about to go here, but like the technical side of this, right? What are some things you can do? Cause this is the boring stuff. No one likes to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. They like to talk about the sexy stuff, subject line, first sentence, but if it's going to spam, it doesn't matter. So what can people do to try to make sure that their deliverability stays high? Definitely. And as you said, a very boring subject because it's technical, but I think it is important. And if there is one thing that I would like to everybody to take from today, even if it's boring, is this one. Uh, first of all, if you're hiring new SDRs, if you're hiring new people and creating new email addresses for which from they're going to be sending emails from, those email addresses needs to be warmed up. Warm, mm-hmm. Email warm up is the process that lasts around a month where we basically prove to the email provider that this email address is not going to be used to spam people. It's going to be used to actually send valuable content. And the only way to prove that to your email providers, Gmail, Outlook, whatever, is by having uh, conversations in your inbox and getting replies to those emails. Uh, That means that you can have two ways. One is manual, one is automatic. Uh, Both ways work in this exact same way, which is basically you're going to be sending emails, gradually increasing them over the course of 30 days. You're going to be sending emails to people who are going to then respond to those emails, remove them from spam if they ended up in spam, mark them as important. And then the email provider sees the communication happening. So like you see that you're getting responses, you're getting responses, you're not spamming people. So it's after a month, you're email domain, your email address is so warmed up already because of all of this communication that you're having that you're ready to start your outbound and then you will not go to spam. This is where the mistakes happen with sales managers because they hire a new SDR. They just give them a new email address and start blowing up like uh, 300 emails per day. All of a sudden, it's a huge red signal for for, for the email providers. Um, and uh, this is something that you can easily automate. Uh, there's so many tools uh, on the market right now that can do this. So uh, one of uh, them is ours as well. So one, on top of that, there are some technical things that you can set up. SPF, DKIMR, custom tracking domain, all of these things um, are easily created, but so overlooked, and then you, you end up in spam. So um, I'm actually not sure how we can do this, but uh, there is email deliverability checklist that we have built with all of these steps. So either um, you can look it up on Lamlist, literally email deliverability checklist, or um, reach out to me or Kevin, and we're going to share the the link. Yeah, and we'll we'll drop the link in the show notes for sure, because I think this is one of those like, non-sexy but impactful things that no no one's talking about right that was one of the first things too that also stood out to me when i saw lem warm i'm like god see like this is this is the shit this is the thing that no one talks about to to go through so okay so let's take the next step so i've warmed things up i've got good deliverability how do i still then now drive that open so i'm being delivered what are some of those best tactics to get the email opened and then to get the email responded to 
Okay, so we're going back to the basics literally of selling, which is knowing your ICP. Uh, mm -hmm. When it comes to knowing your ICP, the reason that it's important is not only that you know your value prop, you know all of the things that you want to say, it's more about how do you then do your lead generation. So when you're doing lead generation and when you're reaching out to prospects, they are the people who are right now relevant, who are right now willing to buy your product and who are actually perfect fit for you. Because if you're sending 100 emails and you're just sending them randomly to random people, maybe in the same industry, maybe with the same title, but they're not really your ICP, you will not get responses because you're not going to be relevant to them and your product might not match their needs and their pains. When you have the very nailed down ICP and you know what are the like buying signals or trigger events or however you call them, let's say maybe um, for us, it would be any new company that uh, got a new head of business development or a new SDR or is expanding into the new market. This is your trigger that you can then leverage in your copy throughout the sequence and always personalize. Even if you're doing like personalization at scale and you're not investing so much effort into creating you know, personalized intro lines, etc. You can make the email feel personalized and relevant simply because you're talking to these people who are going through something at this moment that you can help and address specifically because they're going through this this time. Um, to give a very simple example, when we started expanding our outbound into the U.S. market, uh, I got a lot of cold emails, which were basically a lot of spammy ones as well, but the good ones were very personalized uh, in a way relevant, I would say, saying, I saw your spend right now into the US market. Uh, obviously, companies that are going through this are right now facing similar challenges. And then he would highlight some of the challenges. And then even if it's like not personalized to me personally, I do know that this is something that can actually help me out because I am going through this challenge. So this is how you can scale the personalization. Um, as you mentioned before, like you land in the primary inbox, you get the email. Uh, first things that you see, subject line, intro line. What you see here is the uh, one way that you're going to determine whether you're going to open an email or not. If the sub subject line sounds like a newsletter-ish, marketing, shame, whatever type of uh, copy, nobody's going to open it. If your intro line says, hey, I'm John from XYZ company, I'm doing this and this, I don't care. Why would I open it? Still nothing about me. You need to intrigue in the first subject line and the first um, sentence of your email. This is where I put additional personalization personally. So like I would do the research on the prospect. And when I say personalization, I don't mean cats, dogs, uh, family uh, that they posted on LinkedIn. It's about business-related subjects that you can touch upon and where you found the common ground with them, something that you would like to compliment them on, but it always has to be uh, genuine. Uh, don't just put anything in there just to make it feel personalized when it's mm -hmm. not. And I think that's the most important part. Uh, following that, tying it, that intro line with the rest of your email, again, is the second challenge that you will have. And it's all about making it connected and staying relevant in the course, like not splitting the personalized line and then going straight into the pitch. Again, it will not make sense. Um, and giving them room to breathe, you know, like really building that relationship. The, the end goal of the first email, at least, that you send is not really to book a demo. It's to get a reply. It's to start a conversation. That is the one thing that you need to focus on, whether just to raise their curiosity, get a reply, start a conversation, and then eventually book a meeting. You can't rush it, even though I know we are all under pressure of targets.
Jesus. And that is something that I wish more and more people truly understood where it's like those first emails, I'm not trying to get a response. I'm trying to get any type of engagement, right? Can I get you to click, right? If I can get a response, great. But I tell my, my own team, if it was as easy as sending templated emails and asking for 30 minutes, I wouldn't need salespeople. Like if, if, it, if it were that easy, if I could just send a templated email with, hey, Nadja, I see you're the head of business development at Lemlist and I'd like 30 minutes of your time to show, I wouldn't need salespeople. I could literally just blast everybody and get it back. This is where the salesperson comes in is to make it relevant. I love how you said connect the dots, the personalization you have to connect it to the value prop and you have to connect that to then whatever that call to action needs to be. And you, you said it well, right? People are like, hey, KD, loved your post. We help VPs of sales, da, 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 You're like, ah, oh, you had me for one second. You had me for a second, right? And so let's, I, I actually want to spend a little more time on this. How do you craft that, that second part, right? Like, you know, you've touched around a little bit, like really knowing your personas, really knowing your ICP. How do you craft that, that value prop or that hook that makes them, okay, like this person gets me a little bit or this person's worth talking to. How do you craft that part of the email? It's exactly as you said. So when you know who you're targeting and when you know why you're targeting that specific person, this becomes so easy. So for example, you would be able to say, um, seeing right now that you're, let's say, let's take a company as an example that is uh, helping increase the uh, lifetime value of the customers. So like you're focusing on the retention um, and you maybe like your lead gen might be based on companies that are focusing more on the um, client acquisition. So like investing into the client acquisition rather than optimizing their current clients and increasing their value to get more revenue. So you would be saying like, uh, hey, so you're running the, you, seeing your Facebook ads that you've been running these days, they're, they're all over my feed. I'm curious right now if you're, and then you leverage that. Like, are you, do you want to make sure that you're actually right now leveraging additional re revenue channel, not only investing, like you would be able to pinpoint what are the pains, highlight the pain. So what it is the pain that you're facing and then offer a solution based on that. It becomes so easy when you have this ICP because then you can connect it all together. Um, and again, tying it in is about mentioning because of this reason, this is why I thought this would be interesting to you. Uh, you are going through this challenge that we're seeing every day uh, from either you or, or your similar customers like yourself. And this is something that they do or that you can do to actually help it out and make sure that it doesn't happen. Have you thought about this? Like mm -hmm. highlighting the pain, if, even if they don't have it, maybe they are not aware that they have it and then bringing them to like an ideal world of what can actually happen if they uh, do things differently. I really love, I, say, I love that type of style of like, you know, have you thought about this? Have you seen this? When's the last time you looked at, have you asked your people this? Like planting those seeds of questions early leads onto it. Now last um, on this session, before we kind of move into some more mindset stuff as well around this is any tips on how to learn the ICP well, right? Because you are in a unique position where you're a sales leader selling to sales leaders who have sales reps, you have sales reps. So, you know, you know, the problem, so you can speak to it for the people that don't. Right. And this is what's amazing to me still is I think it's like less than 10%. I think of SaaS salespeople use their product. 
Mm-hmm. So we got the other 90% that don't, right? They're selling to security. They're selling to finance. They're selling to HR. They're selling to biz intelligence, right? They're selling, like, they don't use it. So how can a sales rep or a sales leader nail that ICP when they are not the ICP? Exactly. That's a great question. And uh, first thing that I would like to highlight, it's not only on your manager, like if you uh, come as a new SDR and maybe your manager is not as good as you would like hope it to be or like like to be maybe he doesn't walk you through the icp entirely or onboard you properly it's your job if you want to actually do your job well to know your icp so take an additional extra mile and learn about the icp the ways that you can do it for me the best way was actually to hop on a call with customers current mm-hmm. customers and talk to them like what it is that you love about our product what it is that you don't like about our product why you're using us and not the competitors uh, what it is that you're going through in a, your day-to-day life? Like, what are your challenges in your position? Um, talk to them and really understand them well. Second of all, uh, you can actually go on in um, research a bit the industry. So, like, the way that I would uh, typically start my uh, ICP exploration is I would go to our customer reviews. Uh, so, like, Quora, uh, G2, etc., and just check out what the ICP is talking about you. Like, what it is that they like about you. Maybe you have it your value prop completely wrong. Maybe it's not the things that you're pushing. Maybe it's something completely opposite. Um, Then learn about the industry, like uh, join the communities that your ICP is in. Uh, If you're talking to sales, obviously communities, we know all of them that are right now very active. You can join the conversations. You can see what people are writing and talking about. Um, Be a part of those ecosystems and learn from the others. Networking is the best way possible to do it, like connect with thought leaders in the industry, check what they're writing. For example, if you're starting in sales, check Kevin, check his LinkedIn profile and check the content that he's posting. You will get soon an idea of what it is, the, the common pains, struggles and everything that people are talking about. I love that. It's something that I actually do. I talk about often is salespeople never talk to customers. We talk to prospects. We don't talk to customers. Sales leaders rarely talk to customers, right? And that's where if you look at, you know, anytime I join a new company, the first place I go is the customers. I want to speak to 40, 50 of them. And I actually got in trouble because like, I don't always ask CS for the customer list. I just start calling customers because if I ask for a list, I'm going to get, you know, the happiest, the best. Whereas I want to talk to people in the trenches like, what, you know, what do you like? I love that. Why did you buy what problem were you trying to solve? How would you describe us to another one of you? Because that's also where we get rid of some of that marketing speak, right? Where we say, oh, we have this all-in-one sales engagement readiness platform. Have you ever heard a VP ever say that, right? And so I love that getting in touch with the customers and it's great for onboarding too, y'all. If you're growing, getting your reps Speaking to customers speeds up onboarding in a big way because it reinforces that belief, but also they get to learn the language of the prospect. So I think that's huge. So, okay, I want to make one last shift here because we've talked now deliverability, we've talked social selling, we've talked the cold emails. I do want to touch on mindset before we wrap here because all this is fine and dandy and the growth that y'all are seeing is amazing, but sales is hard. SDR work is hard, right? Like what are some of the things that you do to keep the team positive, to keep the team feeling good, right? Everyone goes through lows, no matter how successful it is. Like what are some of the mindset things you work on with your team to keep that vibe, to keep that culture growing? Because y'all are growing and you've been able to maintain that culture so far. What are some of those things that you work on with your team around mindset? 
Definitely. It's, uh, for me, the, the saddest thing that I hear is uh, when I'm talking to sales leaders and they uh, completely ignore the mental health as a part of the game and they just think that it's not their job to take care of their team's mental health. When in reality, maybe it's not your job, but your work and your company is entirely uh, focused and is entirely dependent on your team. If they're not feeling well, they're not going to be able to be productive. They're not going to do their, their best work and you're going to suffer. So on that end, uh, we always uh, really encourage everybody in the company. Like it's really, we have this motto saying uh, it's, not, um, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So you don't have to burn yourself out every single day and work uh, 20 hours per day to literally nail down every single thing that is on your list. It's okay to sometimes slow down. If you're feeling not good, slow down. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. And then the recovery and everything that goes along with that is just uh, completely horrible. And it's going to have effects on you and your team. Um, to do so, one of the ways that I think really helped myself specifically as well, because obviously I'm going through the same things as my team. It's not like I'm completely this... Um, you're not a robot. You're not. You're not or, infallible. <laughs> I'm going through the same. I'm going through the same things, and I think it's important for managers and leaders to uh, validate it, that with the team and share that transparently. I do think that my team he has a very strong sense that they can come to me if they're feeling uh, not so good, simply because I've opened up and spoke about it so many times in my journey at Lumlist, and I always say, and I'm always open when I say like. Okay, I'm on a verge of burning out. I'm so tired. I cannot handle this anymore, etc. Yes. I say it. I say it. And they know that if they're feeling the same, they shouldn't feel guilty about it. They should come and ask for help. And they, it's okay to take a break. I think this is one of the crucial things because uh, everything else, um, only knowing that, that it's supported and that it is okay, I think takes away a lot of pressure from the people and their minds. Um, otherwise, if you're feeling like you need to be perfect all the time, not show any flaw and just be all the time best every single day, uh, then it gets even more uh, stressful and creates even more anxiety. Absolutely. Holy cow, y'all. I hope you took notes on that because it's so important. We greatly overvalue what a day means. Right? If someone's having a tough day, tell them to take the day. Just take the day, right? Like that one day isn't going to ruin the month because those 50 calls they were going to make were going to be garbage anyway, because they were stressed. They were afraid. They were in a low state, low energy. They weren't going to be good anyway. Give them that time and space. And I love what you called out that you are willing to share when you're on the verge. And that was something that was a learning lesson for me in my leadership as well Is like, I encouraged people to take the breaks and I encouraged people to voice things. And I wanted people to know that they needed to take care of themselves. But then I didn't, you know, I was always working still and I was always in the office and I didn't take vacations and I didn't burn out. Right. Like I didn't want to show that. And once I started to, that's when people funny enough started to take better care of themselves. When I was willing to share, Hey y'all, I need a, I need a break. Like I'm about to fall apart here and I need to pull back and be going, Oh, and starting that, that safe, you know, people talk about like, you know, as like mental safety or emotional safety at work. Like that's a big part of it as a leader, people will hear what you say, but they're going to watch what you do as well. And if you're never feeling stressed, if you're never feeling like you need to slow down, they won't either. So man, this is everything I was hoping it would be. So I got three questions left for you here or two. I don't know. We'll see. 
a little wrap. So the first one, right, we call it like the big three. We have covered a lot. It's already been 40 minutes and, I, and this could go on for an hour still. Like I still would love to keep going here, but we've covered a lot here. What would the three biggest takeaways you'd want people to have from this conversation, right? Like if they walked with only three things, what would those three things you'd want them to walk with be? Mm, take ownership uh, of your uh, role, uh, meaning uh, don't wait for your manager to give you customer calls if you need to learn about your ICP. Don't wait for a manager to fix mm-hmm. your uh, open rate. Figure it out yourself. Don't wait for anybody in the company itself to tell you to post on LinkedIn and build your personal brand. Go ahead and build your personal brand. Take ownership, not only because of the company that you're working for, but yourself as well. Um, That's the, let's say, number one thing. Second of all, uh, for the managers, um, be vulnerable, be transparent, and show your flaws to your team to help them connect with you and follow your lead, basically. And the third tip, when you're uh, reaching out to prospects, always focus on building the relationship, um, building value, giving them more value and helping them in their uh, day-to-day job rather than uh, simply focusing on your return and on your uh, demos and your KPIs. I love it. I love it. And the last question here, right? The name of the podcast is Live Better, Sell Better, right? I have this really weird idea that if we took better care of ourselves, if we did have more joy and energy and fulfillment in life, that the sales also would get better. What would your live better advice be for people listening? My advice would be something that I've learned actually this year only, took me 28 years to realize this, is um, to be so self-aware and so focused on your own personal growth and your own uh, way of thinking and your own uh, growth, I would say, um, to be aware of your flaws, your, uh, your priorities, and really focused on growing yourself as a person, not only as a, a professional, um, simply because the moment when you realize who you are, what you love, what you don't love, what are your priorities, you're gonna be able to act in that way in your life. And that's what's gonna make your life much more better and you're going to enjoy what you're doing. Don't copy paste what everybody else is doing, follow their lead, uh, follow the, their like goals and think that it's something that you should pursue. You need to find what it is that works for you and what makes you feel good uh, in your life. I love that. I love that. Like I, there's a quote that really stuck with me a while back where it's like, stop trying to be everybody else. They're already taken. And the second part of it was it's better to live your life imperfectly than someone else's life perfectly, right? right? Live your life. What makes you happy? What brings you joy, right? And that is how you need to live your life. You can learn from other people, but you can't be them. You can only be yourself, right? And so, holy cow. All right, Nadja, where can people get more of you? Like, where can people find you? Where can people get more of your content? Like, where can they get what you are putting out? You are the future, girl. I'm calling it right now. Like you, you are, ah, oh, you're just phenomenal. This is, I'm so excited to watch where you continue to grow. Where can people get more of you, find you, follow you, all those fun things? Definitely. So first, uh, first things first, definitely LinkedIn. So look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm posting every single day. My team is posting every single day. And our YouTube channel right now is going to be sharing all of the actionable tips on how to write proper cold emails, uh, multi-channel strategies, so for different industries, so um, on YouTube, you can type in uh, Nadia and Simon um, YouTube channel and you're going to find it out. 
And obviously, feel free to ping me anytime on LinkedIn. Follow our company when it comes to the content. I think you're going to love it. And uh, I hope to have more conversations with you all on, on LinkedIn. Hell yes. Well, this was everything I was hoping it to be and more. Now we're finally not silent followers, right? We've gotten to meet, we've gotten to talk, and I'm hopeful to have many conversations in the future. But thank you so much for your time, energy, and insights today. It was great. Thank you, Kevin. Love it to be here. Hell yeah.